0: Welcome to the Bold Speak Podcast, I'm Anthony Creedon. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about a subject that I think needs a lot of attention in the church today. It's judgment, what it's supposed to look like, and how so many have misunderstood our role in it. And on The Wire, I'm going to take a closer look at the celebrity stories and their fascination with being offended, and why our epidemic of offense has little to do with hurt feelings. All that headed your way as we give them the Bold Speak. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Bold Speak podcast. Very glad you can join me as we continue to go through this Condition of the Heart series and take a look at the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, today we're going to get into lesson seven, and we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at the nature of judgment. And as I said at the opening, I really think this is a topic that that needs to be addressed because there's a lot of confusion around it. Uh, We look at the world around us and we see a lot of things that we think to ourselves as Christians, things really shouldn't be that way. And you're right, most times people are right. They know the word of God, they've studied the word of God, something inside of them, right, that the law that's kind of written on their hearts tells them that something is very wrong and things need to change. But there's a very careful warning that Jesus places in front of us in Matthew chapter seven that I think we need to heed and and take note of because it's not talking about whether or not we should judge but how we should go about our judgment which honestly makes all the difference when we're trying to help the world to be more godlike and to follow the, the ways and the things that God has placed in front of us. So this is a topic that I think needs a lot of discussion and careful consideration as we move forward as being people who live out the gospel. If we know how to rightly use uh, the law of God, if we know how to rightly hold people accountable, our, uh, our gospel message is going to be far more effective and, and that's really what we're after right so so that's what we're going to talk about today in matthew chapter 7 now you will notice uh in the study guide and, and a quick note of the study guide if you if you don't know what i'm talking about here uh the study guide is available to you on our website and that's www.theboldspeak.com uh, if you go there you can pick up this study guide it's only ten dollars uh, has an opportunity for you to take down some notes and, and kind of track along with us as you go so if you you go to our store uh you'll You'll see it there for purchase. Uh, really strongly encourage you to do that. All right, but if you do have that study guide in front of you, uh, we're going to be on page 28 again. We're entering into lesson seven, uh, and you'll also notice that we're only going to be uh, reading Matthew seven verses one to six. Right, just six verses on this episode of the podcast. But in those six verses is quite a bit, and there's a lot there to unpack. So uh, we're just going to do those six verses, a little bit of scripture to to help us as we go along here. We're going to touch on Romans and Galatians 6, but mostly focusing just on those six verses of Matthew. And speaking of kind of going through those particular verses, we're going to do that in the English Standard Version of the Bible. So uh, if you've got a Bible in front of you, go ahead and open it up to Matthew 7. Uh, If you don't have an English Standard Version, that's perfectly fine. Just use whatever translation works best for you. Um, If you you do have an English Standard Version, perfect. You'll be able to follow along very easily. And if you don't have a Bible in front of you, don't worry. I'm going to go ahead and read all of these to you so you can track along and follow easily as we all kind of try to figure out what it means to to be the church and to to rightly judge things in an appropriate way all right so let's go ahead and get into this uh we're gonna read matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 6. judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? ...and turn to attack you. Question one asks, What warning is Jesus giving in regard to judgment? Now I have to say right at the outset here, there are no questions in this section of the study guide that are more important than this one. In order to have a right understanding of where Jesus is going with all of this, we have to start strong. And that means understanding specifically what Jesus is saying in verse 1. And the reason is because I think a lot of people get this confused, and, and understandably so. The The English doesn't really do a great job of clarifying what specifically is being said here in a right understanding, because it's just putting the words down uh, from the Greek. So we're going to take a look at this in a little bit more depth and, and really take a, a chance to, to step back and evaluate, on the basis of the context, what Jesus is trying to communicate here. All right. He says, judge not that you be not judged. All right Now, most people read that and they think, oh, that is a warning to me not to make judgments so that other people don't judge me. But that is incorrect, and we know this on the basis of the context, right? So a couple of things that we need to do. First, we need to remember that Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and so far... When he's used the word hypocrite, he is referred directly to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? The the scribes, the teachers of the law. And the word hypocrite here is used in verse 5. So if we continue the pattern that's been established for us, uh, that Jesus uses hypocrite in reference to those religious leaders of the day, then when he, in verse 5, says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, that seems to indicate that he's directing this dialogue once again at those same religious leaders, right? Now, keep that in mind. The second thing is he can't be telling us to not judge people because in the very next few verses, he tells us that when we judge them, we should do it this way. In other words, he wouldn't start by saying, don't judge people and then go, but if you decide to disobey me and judge people, here's how you should do it. All right. So, so something else has to be going on here. Here's what it appears that Jesus is trying to communicate. Don't judge people in order that you won't be judged. In other words, don't. Stand there in a position of judgment over people as if you are holy, as if you are better than them, as if you stand in a more superior position in the hierarchy of religion so that when the day comes, God won't judge you because that's not how it works. And this is what he's trying to communicate. In other words, don't use judgment as a means by which to make it appear that you are more holy or godly than anyone else. And and that message is consistent with what Jesus has been saying all along through the Sermon on the Mount, right? And this is why, again, he, he continues in the verses to talk about, well, how should we judge people? Now, again, we're, we're gonna use some some principles of biblical interpretation, we're gonna use some things that we know about the Bible to validate this. And one of the major things that we're gonna use, which is a thing we should regularly use, is other portions of scripture t- to bring some clarification. Right? Judgment is talked about in several different places, and in fact, um, one of the, the most important and significant people to talk about the nature of judgment is Paul. Right? And Paul knows a life of judgment. Right, Paul, who was formerly Saul, uh, stood there as a zealot and, and made it his business to judge people on the spot for their Christian faith. And so judgment is a thing he is very familiar with, which is why when Paul talks about judgment, we should definitely listen. Right, and there's two places I'm going to go to take a look at this. The first is Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Listen to what Paul has to say about the nature of judgment. He says this. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard impenitent heart you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed now what Paul's pointing out here is that we need to be very careful as believers and followers of God as those who represent God as his stewards that we don't stand there in judgment of others without recognizing that we too are in the same boat there is no single human outside of christ who stands in a position to rightly judge others without first recognizing the sin within yourself and that is a major part of how we approach judgment it's a major part of what jesus is communicating and paul is validating that here all right so judgment and and making judgment on the basis of the law of god is appropriate we just have to make sure we do it the right way all right now again this is going to be further supported in galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 6 all right galatians 6 1-6 builds on this idea when paul says these words brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches what paul is building on here is the the purpose behind the judgment right in other words if someone is caught in transgression you should restore them in a spirit of gentleness right with an idea or an eye to what comes next which is repentance and from that repentance reconciliation and that is how we fulfill the law of God because that is what God is after all right please hear me on this the whole purpose of judgment is not to judge but the judgment is a means to an end and the end is reconciliation that's what God is after that's what God has always been after and so this now begins to rightly frame what we're dealing with when we're dealing with judgment. The warning that Jesus is giving us in regard to judgment is to make sure that we understand how to do it rightly and rightly represent God when we do it. Alright? So so let's continue on here and get a better picture of what it means then to judge. Question 2. What does Jesus mean by his words in Matthew 7 verse 2? To remind you he says this. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is when you pass judgment on someone, rightly or wrongly, but especially rightly, you're going to convict them. And when you convict them, something is going to happen that I'm sure all of you listeners out there will recognize. And that is that judgment will turn around back on you. All right, kids do this all of the time. Right, When you say, well, you did this, usually the response is, well, you did this. Right. In other words, judgment is the response to judgment. And so Jesus is just giving a warning here. Be prepared, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, again, what we have to remember is that first verse there, which is our key verse, is Jesus saying, don't use judgment as a means by which to bolster yourself or make yourself feel holy before God. And why? Because verse two, when you live your life in a position of judgment, be prepared for you will be judged with that same judgment of law, but now by God. In other words, God will judge you for your judgment. Everybody hear me on that? God will judge you for your judgment. When you live a life of Christian faith that is focused solely around making people feel inferior and horrible simply for the sake of judgment. In other words, if your judgment is only geared toward promoting yourself and never toward reconciliation, you will be judged for that. That is not how God has called you to live. God has called you to live in relationship to the law that you use the law of God, you use the will of God in that judgment to bring about repentance and reconciliation and restoration of people through the power of the gospel. The gospel is the focus, not the judgment, not the law. Now, let's continue to take a look at this because the the wormhole goes a little bit deeper here. Right. Question three, how does this compare to the way people typically use these verses? Well, again, if you've been out and about and, and heard many people kind of reference these verses, my guess is, is that 99.9% of the time, it's typically used as a means by which to divert judgment. In other words, well, don't make a judgment on me. You can't judge me because... When you judge me, then you deserve to be judged, and that's not okay, right? In other words, it's always a means by which to say, well, don't judge me. Just let me do whatever it is that I want to do. And what I'm hoping that you're seeing here is that is in no way intended with these verses. Nowhere in here is Jesus saying anything about the fact that we shouldn't make judgments according to the law or the will of God. He's simply saying, don't make judgments for the sake of judgment. Always lead with the gospel, right? Always go with the gospel, right? You you may have an opportunity to, to call somebody accountable for their actions. And in that situation, you should, right? You should hold them accountable, but that should be done only as a means by which to help them to recognize the sin that is within them, to recognize the sin of the action, bring them to repentance, and then restore them with the gospel and move forward together in faith. That is the purpose of judgment. But nowhere in here is Jesus saying we shouldn't judge and we should just let everything slide. Right? That's nowhere in there and that is never how we should understand judgment. Right? Holding people accountable is critical. However... The only way that it's going to be effective to get you to the point of the gospel is if you do it with humility, right? And humility is a major part of this, and that's the next question and the next verses that we're going to address. Question four, why is it important to exercise humility in judgment? The advice that Jesus gives us here in verses three and four specifically is to tell us that we need to make sure that we understand our own position before God before we start placing other people in a position of judgment. Verses 3, 4, and 5 say this. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, well, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite, right? There's that word, hypocrite. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, you'll see in the study guide there, I've provided you two, uh, again, kind of subcategories under question four. The first is credibility. Now, the importance of credibility is that when you make a judgment or an assessment on someone, there has to be a reason for them to, to hold that judgment or assessment valid. In other words, if you tell someone that what they're doing is wrong, well, what makes you a credible source for right or wrong? And that's an important question and and, a thing to think about. If we are not held as credible kind of sources of truth, then when we try to hold someone accountable, what is to make them listen to us? In other words, why should they believe us that what they're doing is wrong? And if we don't have credibility then we lose all availability to hold people accountable, right? And so credibility is the establishment of our kind of validity as those who speak truth, right? And those who can hold people accountable to the law and the will of God. Now, the next word under there may seem a little bit odd to pair with credibility, but is maybe the most important part of this and that's vulnerability. Now, I have to tell you, this is something I really think that the the church today struggles with, right? an opportunity to be vulnerable. We've got it in our heads, and, and maybe it's from a misunderstanding of this section of, of Scripture. Maybe it's a misunderstanding from lots of different sections of Scripture, uh, You know, places in particular, I've noticed this a lot as a, a big struggle with pastors uh, feeling they have to be above reproach, as if that means they have to be perfect, and it doesn't, right? In other words, being above reproach doesn't mean perfect. In other words, uh, being above reproach, just simply means able to be approached and approached again about the struggles and difficulties of the Christian life, right? It does not mean that we have to pretend we're perfect because I would argue this, the more we show people our weaknesses, the more opportunity we have to show the power of the gospel, right? This is why Paul says, as for me, I boast in my weaknesses because of Christ, In other words, when we show that we're in the same boat with everyone else, an opportunity presents itself for us to have real dialogue, to bring about real conversations that lead to real healing. Now, this is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't providing they had taken judgment as a means by which to be superior, right? To hold themselves over others. And because of that, everyone was afraid of them. No one engaged them. There was this distance between the religious leaders and and the people. And this was a huge problem. A lack of vulnerability led to a church that was very much about presenting a false front, presenting themselves as something that they aren't, and being more concerned about preserving an institution than genuinely helping people. My question is, does that sound familiar to you? I gotta be honest, I'm seeing that a lot in our church today. A distance between the, the clergy and the people Uh, The religious leaders being more concerned with preserving an institution, with protecting something, and as a result, not being vulnerable with other people, not being vulnerable with the people of God. And this, I think, has led to some very destructive habits and ideas that are getting in the way of us living the gospel. If we truly want to be the church, as Jesus has called us to be the church, we have to be willing to be vulnerable with each other, open up about struggles, open up about difficulties, knowing that when the judgment comes, and it will, and many times rightly should when we sin, we know that this vulnerability will open a space for us to have a real opportunity Live the gospel in the lives of each other. We won't be sitting there afraid to open up because we think to ourselves, well, if I open up, all I'm going to face is judgment. If I open up, all I'm going to face is ridicule and scorn and, and being made to feel small and and, and even separate and, and separated from the church and, and other people. If we have an opportunity, a genuine opportunity to be vulnerable with each other and open with each other, we could do incredible things in the power of the gospel. Because that's who we are, ladies and gentlemen, as the church. People who live by the power of the gospel. We cannot be afraid to be open with each other. We cannot be afraid to sit down with others and and open up about the struggles and the sins and the things that weigh us down. Because if we do that, we lose the purpose and, and the heart of the gospel. If we allow ourselves the space... To confess our sins in a place where we are safe and people say look you're right what you did was wrong and there may be repercussions for that but I'm invested in you I love you and now I want to work with you on a path of repentance reconciliation and restoration so that sin no longer hangs over you but you have full life and acceptance in the power of the gospel if we could get to that place if we could be that place church, it'll be incredible to see what we can do. And so that is the reason why Jesus is addressing this. In chapter 7, this first section in chapter 7, Jesus is saying, if you want to fix what the Pharisees have damaged in the church, start here. Use judgment as a means by which to bring about reconciliation through the gospel." And that is something that's absolutely important for us as the church to remember as we move forward. Question five. How did Jesus' words about judgment connect to the theme of condition of the heart? The nature of judgment and how we should rightly judge people has everything to do with condition of the heart. If you understand your relationship to God, if you live in relationship to god as an extension of him then you realize and understand that your purpose and role is to bring about gospel living in the lives of others in other words it's your job as the church to bring people back into relationship with god through jesus christ and that is done with the gospel But if you see yourself as an extension of God's law, passing judgment on people and striving hard to make sure that people know that what they're doing is wrong, then you are not in right relationship with God. God desires you to be an extension of his gospel. He doesn't need you to be an extension of his law. Now, that's not to say that we don't use law. Law is absolutely a part of our Christian life. It's an understanding of how we live in right relationship to what God has created in right relationship to God. But the law has a purpose of guidance, of right, keeping us within appropriate boundaries so that we can live rightly in gospel relationship to God and to others, right? The law brings us to the gospel. And so we have to get a right understanding of this and the nature of the condition of the heart. Honestly, it, it reminds me of a, a parable that's found in Luke 18, the the parable of the persistent widow. And it says that Jesus gives this uh, the parable to them to help them to understand why they should pray continually and not give up. And there's a, a direct context to this, but it's a fascinating parable where this this woman goes to this judge and she's constantly knocking on the door of the judge to 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 get the judge's attention because she wants him to give her justice against her enemies right and so she's demanding justice of the judge and it says the judge doesn't really care about people it doesn't care what people think he doesn't know god um but because this woman is persistent he eventually goes forward with with the uh, justice against her enemy because he's he's just done with her he's annoyed by her okay and jesus kind of responds to this parable and is teaching the disciples by saying, look, the the judge who is unjust, right? The judge who doesn't know God, who doesn't really care. He gives justice because the woman asks and continually asks and prays for it. Don't you think that God will do the same because he genuinely cares about you, right? What's the difference between someone helping you that doesn't care about you and someone helping you that does care about you? Right? It's it's a huge difference. And and Jesus is saying, look, God loves you, He cares about you. Absolutely. He will take care of the justice. But then he ends the whole thing with, with a question where he goes, You know, God will give the justice that he sees fit, and God will take care of that. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Right? In other words, the judgment and the justice, God's got that taken care of. But when Jesus comes back. Is he going to find people who have a relationship with him? Or is he just going to find a bunch of people who are going around judging people and overly concerned with justice and really just uh, honestly using the law of God to suit their own agendas? In other words, what he's saying here is, look, God will take care of justice and judgment. It is not your role, right, to to stay there and focus there. Your role is the church is to live a life of the gospel to move people into relationship with god that's your job and that's what he's telling the disciples right don't be like the pharisees and sadducees who think this is their only job right to 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 press the law and push the law your job as people in the church as the church is to live a gospel life and bring people into a position of reconciliation and right relationship with God to work on the condition of the heart. And and so the condition of your heart and the way that you go about judgment is going to show where you are in your relationship to God. Something I think it's really important to remember. All right, let's get to our last question for the day. Question six. How does Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7-6 connect to the previous five verses? If you recall uh, verse 6 says this: Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the the second part of the warning in regard to judgment. Jesus is also asking us to just be aware of the people that we speak to when we're trying to hold them accountable. In other words, if you're dealing with somebody who, who doesn't have a relationship with God, you need to be aware of that. If you're dealing with a person, who the the thing that you're going to hold them accountable for, if they have hardened their hearts and if they have become in a position where they're not going to listen to that accountability, you have to be careful in how you approach it. And there might be a situation where you say, This isn't my role, right? It's not for me to pursue this because to pursue this is not going to end well. In fact, all it's going to do is cause them to turn and attack me, right? So don't give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you, right? Be aware of the people that you're trying to hold accountable. In some situations, you might not be the person to do that. That's okay. Be careful and pick and choose your battles. If you believe that you can bring them to a place of repentance and reconciliation, if they will listen to you, if you've established your credibility, if you've established your vulnerability and can move them to that place of reconciliation, fantastic. But if you don't have that credibility with them, If it's not a situation where they're genuinely going to listen to you, maybe you don't address them head on with this. Maybe you take a different tactic. Maybe you talk to somebody they do trust and have a conversation with them about how to bring them out of this sin and out of this struggle and into a place of reconciliation. You have to be able to to have a bit of discernment when you do this, and that is what Jesus is communicating here. Have discernment when you take these principles and give them to others have discernment in the ways that you go about judgment if you have discernment that will yield better results all right so uh, hopefully we've given some some food to to chew on here uh, some some thoughts about Um, kind of how judgment works and and hopefully this has been incredibly beneficial and maybe helping you to to consider some things maybe there's a situation going on in your life right now where you're thinking man this is something I've really needed to address I'm not quite sure how to do it and and hopefully Jesus words here uh, can provide that for you a little direction and to help you sort of reframe the ways that you go about judgment okay well i mean as we've been talking about this whole time there's certainly no shortage of judgment in our society and with that there is no shortage of offense to be taken but with everyone taking offense to things i have to ask an honest question about the nature of the offense what's the end game right what's the point to explain to someone that what they said or what they did was offensive is intended to lead to what conclusion? My fear is that the answer they give might be more directed at power than any sort of recognition and reconciliation. And that's what I want to discuss on this edition of The Wire. I will admit, I'm the last person you want to talk celebrity gossip with. Honestly, I don't much care about who's dating whom or the latest fashion trend to hit the red carpet. But like every warm-blooded American, it's hard to escape the barrage of celebrity stories that are thrust upon me with each news cycle. This week was no different. Same stories, different day. And while the stories were the kinds of reports that we've come to expect from American journalism, what struck me this week was what we've come to expect from American journalism. In other words, it used to be about the celebrity dating scene and fashion, but now the refrain seems to be the latest news of who accidentally tweeted something, said something in an interview, or posted on Instagram an image that offended someone, or a whole bunch of someones. Apparently even the most famous of us can't escape the constant fear associated with someone getting upset with something we said but what I've started to notice in these news stories is a common trend from those who have been offended. They want action. Stop buying the brand that this celebrity endorses. Fire them from this film. Create a hashtag to publicly shame them. It's here that the public is, I guess, supposed to get on board with their call to action or face the same public shaming. And the striking thing is that in many cases, the claim is that this is intended to stop the offensive behavior. But is that what you're really after? It appears to me that as of late, taking offense has become a clever sleight of hand that people are beginning to pick up on. Here's how it works. You begin by finding something to be offended about. Oftentimes, this is a misrepresentation or an accidental communication from a celebrity. The higher the profile, the more effect the trick has. Next, you express frustration and offense at the act or speech, citing that such a thing is harmful or damaging to society. It is here that the sleight of hand begins. From the outside perspective, your cause seems noble. You're fighting for the oppressed and the underprivileged. You're fighting the good fight for those that are unable to fight for themselves. However, what most people don't notice is what's going on in the background. It used to be when someone committed an offense, it was a legal matter. They broke the law and now there are repercussions of that violation. Today, offense has taken on a bit of a different meaning. Now when someone hurts someone's feelings, we perceive it as an offense that also warrants repercussions. But there is one big difference between the two, and this is where the sleight of hand takes place. The first is decided by a legal process where the person who committed the offense is innocent until proven guilty. If found guilty, that person is subject to punishment as decided by the law. In the second case, however, Whether or not someone's feelings were hurt is completely subjective. What hurts one person's feelings might not hurt another's, and if your feelings are hurt, the person should apologize and seek reconciliation to repair the relationship. The first is about the good of the public. The second is about the good of you. Did you catch the sleight of hand? At some point, we made the switch, and few people noticed it. When someone is offended emotionally, it has now become raised to the level of a capital offense. People demand justice and action to be taken. Right? They want to vote with their money and want companies to take responsibility for the mistake of those who appear to represent them. They want to control what is said and how it's to be said. Under no circumstances can we allow anyone to feel offended or oppressed or powerless because that's not fair or right or whatever. To the public, it's a cause to help people. In reality for many, it's a self-righteous soapbox to gain power from other people as if it's a commodity to be stolen. It's not. If I offend you, I don't owe you anything other than apology and a hope to reconcile emotionally. I don't owe you my job or my livelihood. I don't owe you my family or my friends. I don't owe you my emotional health or my capacity to live outside of fear. And to expect those things shows the world that you're not after helping others, only yourself. You're what I call a power vampire sucking the life out of others so that you can feel powerful and, in an odd twist, become the very thing you publicly despise. It would do us well to remember that the golden rule states, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Nowhere in there does it say that we should treat others the way we have perceived ourselves to have been treated in order to gain power over them. That's not a thing or at least it shouldn't be. So to those who are offended at the latest celebrity gaffe, take a deep breath and ask yourself why you're offended and what you're really after. Maybe at least then you can be honest with the public when you make the demands and at most realize that those demands are unreasonable. If you made such a mistake, would you want us to take away your job? That's going to do it for the Bold Speak podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, make sure you connect with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at forward slash the theboldspeak. Connect with us on our website at www.theboldspeak.com. And make sure you subscribe to this channel and all our media channels to make sure you get the latest news information and updates as we release them. Until next time, everyone, I am Anthony Creedon, and that is the Bold Speak.